Hey there, Skips and Skipperettes, and welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, we've had a busy couple of weeks here at Skipcast Networks. We've moved our world broadcast headquarters to Long Beach, and I'm getting as much of our winter lineup of guests together as I can. It's always hard this time of year, as apparently people want to spend time with their families and enjoy Christmas and all that stuff, but we'll convince them and we'll have more episodes on their way soon. As always, if you are a skipper or know a skipper and would like to share your stories for posterity, drop us an email at junglecruisecrews at gmail.com. This week is the second half of our chat with skipper Matt Liker. Uh, This half features a lot more about Matt, including a great discussion about the man and his great artwork. You can find his incredible illustrations at www.worldofmateo.com. He's a really talented guy, and his style of work is fantastic. Now if we can just convince him to do a Tales from the Jungle Cruise image, then we'd be podcasting in style. As always, my friends, thanks for listening. Here's Season 4, Episode 9, The Art of Being a Skipper, Part 2. And as always, Kungaloosh. Yeah, I really, I think I enjoyed being a trainer more than I enjoyed being a lead because I did, I wanted to have fun there. I mean, my whole motivation was to, I want to enjoy this job. I want to enjoy this experience. And I realized the more responsibility that was, that I accepted, the less fun the job became. And, um, you know, that's the case with a lot of places, uh, obviously, but with this one, I felt like it felt important to me to kind of preserve the fun aspect of it. Yeah. You know, like, um, I, I wanted to really enjoy it. So you know, I I was always trying to find that balance, but in the end, I think I did enjoy training about sure. and being the lead. Well, now it's interesting because I kind of got to that same point with my Disney experience, and the thing that kind of shifted it for me uh, was when I got called up and and to do Disney University. And I know that you said you did that in '94. Do did yeah. it do, did it do the same thing? Did it help rekindle your your passion for the environment? <laughs> you know, I thought it would. I uh, because I remember being so. Uh, taken with that when I, on my orientation day, when they bring in that nice, quiet, soundproof room in the, in the comfortable chairs and they show you, you know, kind of these videos that uh, give you a little take on the company history. I was eating all that up, man. It was great. Um, I thought it would kind of rekindle that for me, but I found out it even, it kind of sucked even more of the fun away. I enjoyed the people that I was working with uh, from the other areas and stuff, the group of us that got selected. Uh, it was a, it was a fun group of people, but it was also, um, it was kind of, it was a pretty uptight atmosphere because suddenly it's, it's administration and it's, well, you know, there's a lot more people hanging around with suits and the, and the expensive cars coming and going and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was just wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was even less of an opportunity for fun and anything that we were teaching these new hires, I already knew and I was already familiar with. So it was kind of, 
you know, just kind of going over the same spiel over and over. It, uh, yeah. it wasn't, a, it wasn't a ton of fun. I would try to, you know, I try to infuse that kind of, you know, so the people would have the experience that I had hiring and so that they'd be excited about working there. And a lot of them were, but, uh, you know, a lot of them at that time too, there was just people that could care less, you know, I'm sure it's the same now. And the turnover is even higher than it was back then. But we'd have, especially in the summertime, it seemed like they would just hire a lot of people that really just couldn't care less about that there was a place called Disneyland, and this is what it's all about, and this is the history of it, that it even has a, a history. Well, I think and, that, I, uh, I don't think that's unique to any era, though. I think that um, there's yeah. always going to be those generations of people who come through where they really just don't have the same um, connection. And, you know, you're going to have your... Uh, your people who definitely are, and you're going to have the people who just, you know, uh, are there cashing a paycheck. And I, I really think that it is the the difference that the university trainers make is to to take the people who maybe it's just a paycheck and start a little fire in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't know that I ever did that. I uh, I'd like to say that maybe I did, but uh, I can't. You know, I can't confirm it, but, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting experience, but it was definitely kind of, uh, for me, it was kind of like, like, this is about as far as I want to go, you know, did the lead, did the trainer, did the Disney university thing. And then I, I, you know, I'd look at, uh, I knew some of the people that were kind of the lower managers and, uh, I just looked at that and I was like, ah, that's not for me. You know, they're, they're, uh, their salary and they're working just crazy hours, you know, um, and every single holiday. And um, I just thought, no, this is I've gone about as far as I can with this. And at the same time, I'm moving very far away from my initial goal, which was to pursue art. You know, I'm getting more into this sort of administrative side of things, which uh, so I kind of wanted to back away from that, you know. And um, eventually, a few years later, that led to me just kind of dropping my lead status and just wanting to make it fun again. Um, I was in the second half of my 20s, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I don't want to be the guy that stays at the party till the very end. You know what I mean? I, it, it kind of started to feel like maybe it's time to make an exit. I'm almost 27. And, uh, you know, this is definitely not where I'm at right now in Disneyland is not uh, a career for me. Well, you and know, I've got to get something else going. And, you know. and it's interesting because that the era that you were running up against those challenges was also one that there were, there was a lot going on in Frontierland, I'm sorry, in Adventureland uh, with, you know, Indy coming uh, uh, into the area and the jungle being kind of snipped a little bit, a little bit of the river going away. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. was definitely a lot of changes. The boathouse being built, um, I mean, yeah. I know that in chatting with John Chapman, you know, that, that that was an area where, you know, there was a lot of, of changes in people and a lot of changes in the way that they kind of were viewing the attractions and safety and the tie-ins with AT&T. Uh, I mean, did you see the chaos about that or was it, uh, uh, was it as chaotic as, I, as I've heard it referenced by other people? Well, it was, um, you know, uh, when they redid the queue and the boathouse and all that, and then that reopened in, in the summer of 94, a year before Indy, um, you know, it was it was cool. It looked awesome, and it got everybody excited about, wow, Indy's going to open next year. It's going to be 20 times better than this. You know, it looks great and everything. But um, it was, uh, I didn't see that so much as chaos. As, you know, like when Indy eventually opened, I mean, it was, Adventureland was just nuts because that's where everybody in the park wanted to be. Uh, talking about guests, not cast members. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was just a total crush of, of humanity there, 24 hours a day, or however many hours they were open. And um, where I noticed it was um, what you're talking about is uh, when they started acquiring 
you know, like ABC and ESPN, and they were they were making these big acquisitions. The Disney company was, and it was in, you could I I really remember noticing the change, like feeling the change of like this isn't like a family park anymore. Like I really feel like I kind of hired in. I, a lot of people say when Eisner and Wells came in, you know, that was the end of the uh, of it feeling like a family. Uh, you know, as far as cast members go, I felt like that was still there when I hired in in '90 but only for like a couple of years. Like I really felt the end of that and that door kind of closed. And then suddenly it was like, you are a number, you know? And, um, and you'd notice it like at the Christmas parties, which I guess they've since done away with, but the Christmas parties like exploded. It used to just be for cast members and their families. And then it went, and then it was just like, you know, suddenly it was like a crush of cars down Harbor Boulevard and, and all of this, because it was like you had everybody from ABC and ESPN. There was a bunch of other places that, uh, that Disney acquired, and they were all invited to the Christmas party. Yeah. So suddenly it was like it was like a busy Saturday, but it was all for the employees. But it was like, well, this is kind of nuts, you know. And you could just feel the change where, you know, they suddenly wanted to get rid of reads. They were looking at that. Um, that was in the pipeline, and a lot of guys that I worked with who were leads were really kind of rebelling against that and resenting it, you know, because they were saying, you know, they were basically telling us, like, you know, you, you don't matter, and, uh, you know, a monkey can run this ride and that kind of thing, or this ride could run itself, and, um, you know, so it was in the cards that they were going to get rid of leads, and a lot of guys ended up just dropping their lead status before, you know, before they... Uh, before they got axed, they yeah. just kind of say, "Well, you know, here I'll turn it in, send me back to Jungle or whatever." Well, there were there and, were a lot um, of changes in Jungle in particular with that because obviously there was a lot of people getting cross trained out. There were a lot of new hires. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know how deep we want to go into this. We've talked to Jesse Banda about this in a little bit more depth, but obviously in that ninety five ninety six era, you had the narrations uh, concept was starting to get get played around, and yeah. uh, you know I think that it. Uh, I think it had its positives and it had its detractions, and I think that uh, you know, not being there, I can't speak to its execution. But you know, I definitely feel yeah. like there were things about it that were fantastic, and there were things that I could understand why people had concerns. Yeah, it was. It looked like a big mess to me, to be honest. I I was asked to be part of that, um, and I just politely declined. I said, no, that's, that's okay. That's not for me. You know, the idea of being locked in jungle, I'd heard these stories of guys that, uh, you know, that were like A's and B's. I don't know what they call them now, but just the guys that are full time, you know, they work Monday through Friday and they've got full benefits or whatever. I don't know if they still call those guys A's or B's or whatever. And and I say guys, but I mean men and women. But, um, back then I hear these stories of, of these cast members who would just get planted on jungle and they'd be there forever. And somehow I was very fortunate that I, I don't think I ever got stuck for longer than maybe two weeks at a time. And I remember that two weeks feeling like an eternity. So this idea of like signing on to narrations where it's like, now you're permanently in jungle forever yeah. and you won't work anything else, you know? And I was like, no, that's, that's okay. And, uh, and it kind of became this, uh, they, it's like they tried to make it like, hey, it's going to be a lot more fun and loose and exciting and theatrical or whatever. So they tried to make it sound like it was going to be more easygoing when I think it, in the reality it became way more uptight an atmosphere than Jungle ever was. You know, like it seemed like uh, it just kind of made the opposite. Um, or at least that's how it felt when I'd go by there. And, and you know, they were always short of bodies because there, there wasn't enough people to fill. So even, uh, you know, even if you didn't formally join narrations, they'd suck you from an attraction once in a while. So I, I still ended up stealing and being over there working amongst that. And the vibe was totally different because it was, um, you were encouraged to be really over the top and you had people like piling all this kind of, 
uh, stuff on their hat, you know, all these props and stuff that they brought from home and be like, oh, I'm so-and-so and I'm the, you know, and they create this character and stuff and it was just like these kind of insufferable theater geek types, you know, <laughs> they were like, oh my gosh, get me out of it. You know, you just want to work with somebody who doesn't talk all the time, you know, and <laughs> I know that sounds really, that kind of sounds kind of mean, but I mean, it was, at the time it was kind of like coming from what Jungle, you know, had been just a couple of years prior so suddenly, like, everybody was just really over the top and gung-ho. And, you know, that can make for a good experience for the guests. I'm sure a lot of guests had a lot of fun. But to work at it was just kind of like, oh, man, get me out of here. Well, and there's you know? there's so much, you know, theatricalness that's by the nature of, of the attraction that when you start introducing characters and props and, you know, uh, a little bit more variation to the scripting, I mean, it definitely... Um, you know, it's it's chaos elements. You know, it's chaos theory. You you start yeah. adding more and more variables, and you're going to yeah, you know yeah. increase the entropy of Jungle Cruise skippers going crazy and doing dumb things. Yeah, uh, and but they at the same time they were like narrowing down what you could say in the spiel, and they were really cracking down. And you had like you had supervisors like hiding in the bushes, writing people up when they heard a joke that was out of line, and that kind of thing. Didn't happen to me personally, but I heard about it. And the gentleman that was kind of heading up that whole thing was really a character. And, uh, you know, he just was like cracking the whip and, um, and it wasn't, it didn't sound fun. I was glad to really be away from that. I, you know, they pulled me out of, of the jungle lead and training thing when I got on the indie opening crew. And then they pulled me out of that right before indie opened, which was a blessing. Um, and they sent me over to Thunder to be a lead. And so I was a lead most of like 95 and 96. I, a lot of my shifts were over there. And that's where I really, that's where I really enjoyed it the most. It was just kind of the balance of both, um, you know, you were outside, but it was covered, you, you know, and uh, just all, the whole atmosphere. I really enjoyed Thunder a lot, and I knew the ride well, and mm -hmm. I felt comfortable there, you know, being in charge. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, I, you know, I'd walk by narrations, or I'd get wind of this or that, or every once in a while I'd get a shift there, and it was just like, oh, get me out of here, man! I don't want any part of this. Well, and it sounded like it got uglier after I left too. Like I heard about coworkers and stuff that got. You know, they try to, like, uh, on their last day, you know, jump in the river and that kind of thing. And end up getting, you know, hauled off by security. And just this, all this ugliness that transpired out of yeah. that, you know. Well, now, I don't but, know if you heard any of those stories. But, but, but going back to, the, I mean, from the from the good days side of it, I mean, what are some, I mean, do you have some specific memories of, you know, things that happened in the jungle or guests that you had through or working with other people? I mean, what are your highlights? What are the things that when people um, find out that you worked at jungle, what are the, what's the story that you pull out of your bag to, to kind of show them what it was like for you and what, what it meant to you? Um, well, gosh, you know, jungle specific, I don't know. I, uh, I, you know, I can't say that I really encountered any, um, any celebrities or anything like that, um, at least not on Jungle. I did in other places. But, um, you know, it, it, in spite of the, the, the negativity about, uh, you know, my take on narrations and that kind of thing, it was a lot of fun to work. It was a blast. And that's where you make a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of your close friends you kind of hang with the whole time you're working there. And some guys that I still stay in touch with now, you know, these are guys that I worked with on Jungle and we kind of bonded through, uh, you know, suffering through those... Uh, the rainy shifts and that kind of thing. But, you know, it was a lot of fun. I liked working the evenings. I loved um, taking my breaks back in boat storage. One of my best memories, actually, is um, before they made it Aladdin's Oasis, the Tahitian Terrace was still there. And you could go back there and um, I'd take my breaks back there um, when they'd have these weekday shifts. It sounds impossible now, but in the fall, it, was it used to be a slow time. And uh, the park was open like 10 to 6. 
and it was just one shift, you know, that for, you know, um, you'd open and you'd close. And it was like a 10 to 6.30 shift. And so you'd take your breaks. So I'd go back in the uh, Tahitian Terrace. And every once in a while, they'd have the music on, which was the same music from the Lanai and the Tiki Room. Mm-hmm. And, man, you could just float away on there. I mean, it was just like, wow, I'm getting paid to be here. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, I mean, it was a 15-minute, you know, journey. I mean, you just sit back there and just kind of float away on the music and hear the boats going by. And, uh, you know, it was quiet. The park was mellow. And, uh, and, you know, it was manageable. It wasn't the summer chaos. And, um, you know, it was, it, it's like those kind of memories that I really cherish when I think about yeah. working that ride and stuff. And then just, you know, goofing around, running around. Um, when I was a trainer on there, uh, I used to, uh, uh, baptize all my uh, new hires that, uh, it, when I finished training a guy on the last day, you know, um, I know other trainers did this too, but it was, uh, you know, you'd say, okay, well, you're all set. You know, why don't you take a deadhead out? And uh, you can practice your steel. And, and um, you know, so they'd go, oh, yeah, okay, great. So they they head out on their own. And then we, me and another guy who was in the know would, would uh, race out, you know, back through the oasis and out back behind Main Street and climb up to the top of the falls where we kept the uh, five-gallon bucket. And uh, so you'd see this guy coming around, you know, he'd chuckle and fill it up with water and dump it right right over, you know surprised the heck out of him and stuff and it always it was always taken in good uh as uh you know in good nature well, every, um, everyone's got to get baptized with from you know the schweitzer yeah baptism. yeah i mean i did yeah everybody gets it it was it was kind of a ritual um uh, the one time that that didn't go over well was when they finally when they were training uh the female cast members on there for the first time and the first one that i trained who i will state was not laura or sue so you know we can we'll clear that up right away it was an, it was another young lady and uh she was, uh, you know, every, everything was going great with the training, good spirits, all of this. And I said the same thing, okay, go ahead and take out a deadhead. And, you know, and, and uh, she went out and we saw her coming around and we dumped that water over there. And she burst into tears. Yeah. And so <laughs> we got back to the dock and I'm like, look, I'm so sorry. It's not personal. We do this to everybody. This was kind of a fun thing where, you know, and uh, it took a little, little uh, persuasion to let her know that it wasn't uh meant as an insult or to be mean or to make her look ugly or anything like that it was you know it was it was a ritual it was part of the jungle tradition so i was just i would that kind of surprised me and i never did it again i think i retired that whole thing after that. yeah what what, so, what was your feeling with the uh the transition during the 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 sue b days and laura and all the the changes that were happening having the female cast members trained over on jungle Oh, I thought it was totally fine. I mean, I thought it was great, you know, because uh, honestly, it was like it lessened the chance of you getting stuck there. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I mean, because suddenly they had a lot more people to pull from, so it, it couldn't just be guys. So it lessened your chance of being pulled off of like Thunder or some other favorable place to be stuck on a jungle shift. And I thought it was fine. There was nothing we were doing that, that uh, females couldn't do just as well. Yeah. And, and obviously that was proven immediately, you know, probably on day one. But I was totally fine with it. I didn't feel like it was some protective fraternity or anything like mm-hmm. that. I think it was it was that by you know just by accident. It just kind of happened to be that way, just by the way it was designed from the beginning. But the uh, the change that change certainly was was no big deal. The narrations one sticks in my mind as being is as being one that that didn't seem so favorable. But the uh, the whole integration of the male female cast members. Uh, no, that was that was great. Yeah, that it was makes sense. It made sense with the time. I mean, it it, it probably could have mm-hmm. happened earlier, and it was just a good uh, a good set of circumstances that got pushed at the right time. So, uh, I was going to yeah. say one of the things from my side. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but you know, you have your 
kind of favorite things as far as like you know hanging out at, at Tahitian. Mine was always uh, when you got to to be on Main Street uh, if the park had a midnight close and you were there at one, or if it had a ten o'clock close and you were there at like eleven thirty, uh, was when they turned on all the work lights on Main Street when there's no one in the park, and the yeah. whole of Main Street lights up as as bright as if it were daylight. And, you know, you get all the cars going down, they start replacing light bulbs, they start power washing everything. And it was mm-hmm. like that, that moment where Disney refreshes itself. It's kind of like springtime at Disney, you know, it kind of, uh, it was that sense of renewal that happened every single night. I love just sitting, uh, you know, at the, the hub and looking down and seeing that happen every night. It was, uh, one of my favorite memories of working there. Yeah, totally. It was the same way. I, I completely know what you're talking about. I used to love that as well. And I'd see a lot of that um, both on the uh, Fantasmic rehearsal shifts because those were overnight shifts. Um, and uh, and then also uh, training shifts, like on Thunder, when I'd be trainer on Thunder. You had to show up really, really early. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember why it was so early on Thunder. But it was like a 5.30 a.m. shift. I mean, it was, I don't know if it's still like that, but um, it was really, really early in the morning. And so you'd come in and you'd see all that going on, and I loved it. Any of those quiet times where you kind of like just kind of soak up and kind of feel the ghost of Walt. I know that sounds really lame, but but it really it, that's kind of what it was. You could just feel kind of the history of the place and kind of soak it up and and reflect and and, and um, you know geek out a little bit on it. I love those moments, and a lot of those were like at night, like you said, and then also early in the morning, um, and hearing those crows in the jungle. There was something I saw a YouTube video or something, and. Uh, I heard those crows. You know, you know, I'm talking about the crows in the yep. jungle up in yep. the trees that would go off. And I hadn't heard that in like 20 years, and that just took me back. Like, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about the sound of those crows. You know, it's like such a huge. It was just such a sensory flashback. Well, every, that, everyone's but, uh, got, everyone's got their cues, their kind of you know their their sound or smell or whatever. I I really yeah. at one point wanted to. Um, uh, now that once I started, you know, getting to know Sue B, I wanted to get the Swiss Capolka on my iPhone and just follow her <laughs> around and, and play that off the uh, the treehouse because that would, you know, obviously have driven her nuts. Uh, yeah, she hated that. <laughs> um, well, you know, and I think that she, her and a lot of other people, she wasn't the only one. Man, oh, everybody hated so, that. A lot of people hated working tiki. I never understood that, but I, to me, tiki room. I would take a tiki room shift in a heartbeat. Anytime it was offered to me, tiki league was free money. Yep. That's that's what I called it because it was it was so laid back. Yes, you had to sit in the show, you had to be in there, you had to hear it. But um, but I loved it, man. I absolutely loved. Oh, I, I've worked. Working I, tiki. I had worked thousands of tiki shows. I mean, I I ended up one summer being the opening tiki person for probably four months in a row. It was a great time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved my tiki time. Well, and that actually leads us into a great uh, uh, kind of a segue into. Uh, kind of the after Disney experience with you because Tiki obviously has an incredible visual style that's tied into a very uh, particular era of American history, advertising, uh, all the things that were happening when Tiki came online, and, and it was a very uh, you know definitive artistic style. You, I guess we can go into this now, are also an artist who kind of channels a lot of those same types of um, visual cues and the styles of that era. Was it, was that a pretty good uh, assessment of it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, my style is pretty much like um, reminiscent of the, uh, you know, the mid century advertising um, 50s and 60s era, um, you know, kind of a cartoon style, but uh, draws a lot on, on a lot of those visual visual styles and certainly the tiki the american polynesian pop thing is part of that and um 
you know, that, yeah, it came out of that era. Uh, Hawaii had just become a state. Everybody was, you know, crazy over having a backyard luau and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and the Tiki Room, when that came out, was, was in 1963, was right in the middle of that. So obviously that was, you know, that was a trend they were hopping on when they came up with the Tiki Room. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, what? but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it has informed my art immensely. Um, the whole the whole experience of working at the park, and then also my own experience of just being a guest there, as as a little kid, all the way through being an adult, and and watching. That's one thing we haven't touched on. It's just uh, watching the guests. Um, you know, as a cast member, I'm sure you you probably remember a lot of people that you worked alongside with, constantly saying things like, "Oh, that stupid guest. Oh, I can't believe these guests are so dumb," and blah blah blah. And, you know, this this endless bitching about how dumb the guest is. And yes, people you know people come in, their IQs do drop, and all of that. But I kind of had a sympathetic view of the guest uh, when I worked there because, um, you know, I remember doing that. I was, I was, you know, the kid with that family that had saved up and driven the car 400 miles and was staying in a hotel across the street. Oh, yeah. And, and the, I, could, I could relate to the importance, you know, even though it was just a theme park, I could relate to the importance that that held for, you know, those people because I was one of them, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it, that experience has fascinated me, um, as I touched on before, and it and it informs my art now. And um, but I always had kind of a sympathetic view of the guests. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that none of them ever ticked me off, or I didn't have any, uh, you know, uh, didn't butt heads with any of them. There was plenty of instances of that. But in general, I tended not to look at the at the guests as being, you know, stupid or dumb, or why would they want to come well, here? And, and, and when you know, I that, that when, when I say it, it's not a, a derogatory a thing. It it really is that. When people walk in, because there is such an aura of magic and there is such a a feeling of safety and things that people just forget some common sense things, and that leads to situations that sometimes are confrontational and sometimes are humorous and sometimes are difficult. Yeah. And that was part of what we were there to do as as cast members was you know kind of uh, take people back into uh, a place where they can you know be safe and they can you know but yeah it's yeah uh, it definitely le- le- led to some interesting and a humorous side of things but yeah i never had a feeling of uh you know that guests were terrible people even the ones that did really stupid things it, it just was the yeah. fact that the the um there was an aura that kind of permeated the park that you know people stopped thinking about things like safety because they just assumed that everything is safe uh, yeah absolutely yeah and and i saw my share of things i mean i saw people fall out of rides and uh you know and and um, i was there i was working on big thunder when that guy went out and got his glasses and got hit by the train yeah ripped his leg away to the bone and the whole thing that was in 91 um and there was other things the guy that fell out of the skyway i saw him sitting in the tree and you know you just kind of go what the heck is going on with these people so yeah i mean there definitely there was there was some screwballs but uh mm-hmm. but i can kind of understand it. you know it's, it's information overload to an extent so yeah it's um you know, it's, I can I can kind of understand how some people turn off their brains to a certain extent. Well, let's definitely take the time because I I think a lot of the people who listen definitely would be interested in your your style on your art. So let's let's definitely plug your website because I want to make sure people get a chance to go take a look at it because uh, you really do some great okay. stuff and it really is is uh, within the the range of what I think people are going to be interested in. Right, well, thank you. Um, I paint under the name Mateo. And that kind of started out as a joke. Um, that's my name in Spanish, Matthew, Mateo. Um, and, uh, but it ended up sticking when my art kind of took off. Um, 
it kind of surprised me, and so I just kept signing my my paintings, Mateo. So my website is uh, www.worldofmateo.com, and that's one T, and it's all lowercase, one word, World of Mateo. Yeah, M-A-T-E-O, and, uh, yeah. Yes, M-A-T-E-O, all one word. Um, now I have to say, you know, um, for the last couple of the website has grown a little stale. My output has slowed down quite a bit because um, we had uh, two little boys here now. Uh, my wife and I kind of stopped everything to finally start a family, and uh, that's put a little bit of a dent in my output, really. So, uh, you know, you're going to be looking at things that have been there for a little while, but uh, I'm trying to update it as I go. I'm always turning out new work. It's just not as – the output isn't as, uh, isn't as frequent as it had been. Um, I had a solo show up here in Washington not too long ago, and I'd done some other exhibits and things, and it was illustrating books, and now I can take the uh, – now I do kind of the uh, the I can take the, you know only kind of one job at a time. I just recently did a poster for a there was a there's a Tiki convention that they have down in San Diego at the Valley High. It's called the Tiki Oasis. They do it every year, and the woman who is a sort of an architecture connoisseur was doing a, a presentation there on on the post-war Tiki architecture and wanted me to design a poster and a T-shirt and a flyer for. So I do those kind of jobs and uh, you know stuff that fits within the frame of, yeah. of my style. And um, so, yeah, 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 I'm still turning out stuff, yeah. but the website is a little bit stale. But, yeah, have a look. Yeah. See what you think. It's interesting that, you know, the your era and your type of work is is reminiscent of – uh, obviously, the stuff that they were doing with Shag uh, and his association yeah. with Disney for a long time, uh, and it really—I mean, there are—it's not the exact same style, but I mean, there's kind of overlaps in what the visual cues are. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're definitely drawing from the same—we're drawing from the same influences, which is that that mid-century aesthetic, um, and that's in that sort of mid-century modern style of illustration, which is very geometric and very uh, watered-down uh, Picasso, and I say that. In an, in an affectionate way, not as a derogatory thing, but it, essentially a lot of the design, the geometric design, the things of, of things you see in the 50s, the lamps, the chairs, the televisions, the cars even, were kind of a watered-down cubist style. Well, and, that, and uh, it keeps on coming back wave after wave. I mean, you keep on seeing things. I was at a furniture store today and saw a kidney-shaped table and knew exactly where the influence was from it. So, you know, it's... Uh, uh, some of those elements just keep on coming back. I I really thought it was a great fit with what they did with uh, with that style for Tiki. It was it was a nice uh, uh, kind of throwback to the '60s feel to the the artwork for it. So um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I thought that stuff was fantastic, and I wish to God they were doing that when I was working there. You know, yeah. Tiki was such a forgotten. It was such an afterthought when I worked there. Sure. Um, at least it felt that way. There was there was no sense of like history or. Hey, let's preserve this. There was always this rumor, like, oh, they're going to tear it down this year, you know, that kind of thing. And somebody always claimed to have a rumor from Imagineering that, yeah, they're thinking about getting rid of the assignment. But it was such an afterthought. Now everybody just is so, uh, you know, affectionate towards it, and there's this great merchandise and stuff, none of which I can afford. But, uh, you know, I see the stuff online, and I'm just like, wow, this is fantastic. You yeah, know, there is some All good. that stuff that when was Kevin the- Kidney and, and those guys do. It's excellent. Yeah, when was excellent. the last time you came down? I haven't been there since 2010. Um that was, uh, you know, the next year my son was born, and uh, and then we had another one, and so we're going to wait till they get a little bit older, you know, before we take them. And I, I completely look forward to that day. Well, I've, I've got to tell you that when you get down to, to uh, Trader Sam's, you are going to uh, die a happy little death. It is, it is a tiki bar <laughs> uh, that is yeah. is fantastic. They do a great job there. Yeah, I've seen the pictures of it online. It looks fantastic, and uh, that's the stuff that just amazes me because. 
you know, um, all these upgrades and stuff like to the Disneyland Hotel. I lived right behind the Disneyland Hotel in that Jeffrey Lynn district, and uh, it's obscured by the parking garage now, but there used to be a strawberry field there, and then there was these condos that a lot of cast members lived at. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd go over to the hotel a lot, and they just never added anything new. You know, it was just kind of this slow deterioration. It was pretty much through the whole time I worked there. Yeah. Um, I think they redid the water show once they added, like, these Christmas lights, you know, and it was really kind of a cheap upgrade. But, uh, you know, now I see these things that they're doing. They're pouring all this money into uh, to the park ever since the 50th. It just blows my mind. Yeah, no, All these holiday overlays and things that just I can't even imagine, uh, you know, to be a cast member and seeing all this stuff going on, all this new stuff coming. It seemed like there was rarely anything new coming along. You know, you had Splash Mountain when I first opened, and then it was like, you know, Indy five years later, and then that was it, you know. Yeah. Tomorrowland stayed kind of stale and static the whole time. And, well, and by the time this and, goes, uh, by the time this goes up, uh, the Jingle Cruise will be back for its second incarnation in, uh, in Adventureland. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. What is, what is that? They uh, added, it, like, it basically is a holiday, it's a holiday overlay where the skippers pine for their, uh, uh, you know, for their family and friends in the Christmas season. So they decorate the boathouse and the boats with holiday lights and they go out with a uh, special special holiday flair to uh, add a little uh, holiday uh, magic to the jungle. And wow, the, the jokes are a little, little jokes know. are a little, you know, holiday themed and uh, no, it's, it's, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, obviously the first year there oh, were, cool. there were uh, growing pains, but I'm really looking forward to, uh, to this year. Yeah, I, I've missed out on all that stuff. I, I, I haven't seen any of the new stuff that's happened in the last, uh, gosh, almost five years. But, but you know, I try to stay up with it online, and I have a, um, I only have a couple of friends that still work there, you know, a couple of people that I still uh, stay in touch with and yeah. kind of get the updates through them and stuff. But, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to going back. I mean, in seeing it through my kids' eyes is kind of the next step, and that's what everybody says, you know, when they finally have kids is take them to Disneyland and see it through their eyes for the first time. It's yeah. kind of new again. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that. But I, you know, I look back on the whole experience. It's just being fantastic. Yeah. I was very fortunate to get the opportunities that I did. And, uh, and I'm glad I took advantage of them. Even if some of them kind of led down roads that I realized, you know, weren't for me. Sure. I'm still grateful for it. You know? Yeah. Well, make, make sure you go onto YouTube and, uh, and search jingle cruise. There's some really fun, uh, spiels that came out of that. Uh, one of the other things I'm just going to point you toward, and I, I'll just mention it cause I'm sure there'll be pe- other people that would be interested. Uh, there's a website called Lilix, L I L E K S.com. And, uh, if you're looking oh, yeah. at mid century, yeah. that guy is just, uh, a, a repository of information from the twenties to fifties, sixties, uh, there's just no website like that that actually he gets into old advertising photos, old yep. uh, old movies, radio stuff. I mean, he really has this grasp on that time period that I think nobody else does. I think he really is the uh, uh, repository for things that would otherwise be lost. Yeah, absolutely. I've wasted many hours on that website just uh, tooling around and oh. checking out different things. One thing I'd like to touch on, uh, you know, that I always remember about working at the park during the time that I did, was this was pre-internet. Now, you can go on the internet these days, and you can put in vintage Disneyland and, you know, Google Images, and you'll just be, you know, overflowing with old photos of weird areas of the park and, and things that, uh, you know, that uh, you may have never seen before. But old old family photos, vacation photos, there's whole websites devoted to this. I know you're aware of this. Um, but back then... You know, a lot of this stuff wasn't available, and I was always like I like I've you know made clear, 
I was geeking out on this stuff whenever it was available to me. Yeah. But a lot of it wasn't. You had, I was always amazed that, um, excuse me, I was always amazed that they didn't have more of that stuff available for cast members. Um, you, they, I don't know if it's still there, but in the administration building, the old one, there was something called a time tunnel. It was like a, yeah. you'd walk from wardrobe to the yeah, no, uh, locker no, room. It's still, it's still there. Still, well, I'm sorry. It was still there as of when I left. But yeah, no, yeah, it, was, it was it was all of the just, year by you know, year kind of that, yearbook. Yeah, they had all kinds of stuff on the walls and everything. Yeah. And uh, man, I used to love that. And then also, the only other place I can think of where they had anything like that was down at the uh, employee window of the village house. Um, you know, like in the hall, there was like a little short tunnel under Fantasyland there, mm-hmm. and uh, they had some old photos of Fantasyland. You know, pre nineteen eighty three and that kind of thing, stuff I hadn't seen before. But other than that, the only place you could get this kind of History was like if you happen to catch a show on the Disney Channel like 3 a.m. or you had those four books that were out, that kind of thing. But, you know, you didn't have access to a lot of this kind of history and the photographs and the materials and the ticket booths, uh, ticket books and all that stuff. And Disney would never drag that stuff out. It always amazed me that they wouldn't kind of have more of that stuff available, even just to look at. And, um, you know, what actually did was I used to go over to the Anaheim Public Library, the history room. And then they would let you, you know, you'd say, yeah, I want to see what you've got on Disney. And they'd have huge files of old ticket, book, ticket books and photographs and stuff that wasn't the, uh, you know, completely sanitized uh, publicity photo type shots of, you know, the same photo of the chicken of the sea boat and that kind of thing. But they were kind of these offhanded stuff where maybe it was like some guy from the OC register took a hundred photos, uh, you know, of Disneyland in 1959 and that kind of thing. And they had all that kind of stuff available. And that was really cool. But there was uh, this uh, distinct lack of it at the park, I always felt. Well, we had uh, David Koenig on the show pretty early on in our second season, I think second episode. Uh, and he was the one who wrote the the Mouse, Mouse Tales books. And right. uh, I think he was the one at the start of the internet who really broke open uh, the backstage magic and, and really created a different way that people viewed the uh, the resorts in that burgeoning internet period. Uh, one of the other things I'd like to, uh, I'll let you know this, but I'll direct our listeners too. Uh, if you go on and uh, you want to, on Google, you want to search Disneyland Dream Barstow, B-A-R-S-T-O-W. And it's going to, it's going to link you to a video that I think I put on the Facebook page a couple times. And it, it's a family who in 1955 or 56 won, um, won a contest to go to Disneyland and they actually shot it on color coded chrome film. And so yeah, they, I've seen that. they have the movie of it, and it really is, I think, one of the finest looks at Disneyland. And uh, even people who who uh, are associated with the resort haven't uh, run across this, and I, I really think it's one of the best videos to really get a feel for what Disney was like in the the, the late six uh, late fifties. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that a few times, um, and it is excellent. You're right; it's a it's a fantastic snapshot into that. And uh, I just, man, I love that stuff. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Like I said, it, it fuels my nostalgia, but it also fuels my art. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I love it. I loved it back then. I love it now. Um, there's another one I saw. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was on YouTube. Um, I think I was just putting it like Vintage Disney or something. But there was a guy who took, he had a video camera. It wasn't Super 8, but it was something like that. Um, and it had sound. And he just walked around the park and just filmed kind of just incidental yeah, you know, things that you just hear people walking and, and talking and all. But it's 1979, 
so it's kind of like pre-video camera, and uh, you really get a, a kind of another fly on the wall kind of thing. I, I think especially that, um, because it's got sound. Yeah, and I, I really think that the Disney Family Museum in San Francisco does an amazing job of of yes. taking some of that early stuff, uh, both of, of Walt's life and of Disneyland, and really creating a a really compelling uh, timeline of his life. So I, I guess the last thing I want to touch on, because oh, we're running kind of, uh, it's a good good amount of time for us. Um, I wanted to touch on the fact that apparently the California and Washington Exchange program worked really well uh, because you are now <laughs> living in my hometown uh, and I am now living in Southern California. So uh, you're up in Spokane, Washington, where I went to uh, junior high and high school and college. Uh, hmm. And it's it's an incredibly interesting town. I always say it's the uh, biggest uh, small city that you can go to. Uh, it, it, it thinks it's a lot bigger than its britches, and I know that it's been growing uh, leaps and bounds. But, uh, yeah, I mean, are you enjoying the time up there in Spokane? I mean, what's uh, – I, I know you were saying that business took you up there, but – Sorry, well, what was the last part you just said? Well, I know you were saying uh, – uh, was it your wife's work took you up to that neck of the woods? Or oh, yeah. Know? Yeah, she um, she got into grad school. We we kind of made the grand circle tour. I met her at Disneyland, by the way. She worked mansion and uh, – and Big Thunder and Guest Control and whatever. And, um, yeah, we married in 97, and then uh, we um, we took off pretty much around the country, and we lived in different places, lived in New Mexico for a year, Boston for three years. And when we were finishing up our undergrad uh, at a college out in Boston, um, she went to grad school and got into WSU. And so she that's what brought us out this way. And after she finished, we ended up liking it so much. We thought we'd head back to California, but we ended up liking it so much up here we just stayed. Well, and, group, so uh, that's why we're here. And more parallels. This is the interesting thing. So your wife is a research professor, and my yeah. wife is a research professor. So <laughs> we're, hmm. we're we're having interesting parallels here, Matt. This is getting a little uh, Twilight wow. Zoney, uh, but yeah. Thank and you. I and I'll I'll definitely uh, uh, you've probably been there long enough that you've eaten at all my favorite places. But we'll. We'll bounce that back and forth after we finish up and wrap everything up. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy Spokane. Uh, I go back once every two or three years to remind myself of how allergic I am to snow. Uh, I have a horrible, <laughs> horrible allergy to snow. It makes me break out in fits of crying and screaming. Uh, so I, I go up just long enough to visit family and uh, and have some of my favorite food and come back down. But, no, I uh, I thoroughly enjoy the town and, and love uh, Spokane and, and uh, Seattle. So. Yeah, we, we're enjoying it as well. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll definitely off off the air. I'll get you some of my my favorite stuff just to make sure that you've seen uh, some fun things. So no, man, I, and I appreciate okay. the time. This is a good uh, good length, and uh, you know I really appreciate your taking the time to to do this. I, I like doing things by Skype, and I, I a lot of people you know contact me a year or two later, and they they're like, well, you know, I've been listening to you for a couple of years, but I didn't want to you know think I could do the show because you only do interviews locally. But we love doing the Skype interviews. Yeah, well, uh, you know, once I heard the one you did with Laura Huff, I'm like, oh, this will work. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a very loose, and I think that you know, obviously, uh, I, I've kind of detailed this. We're we've definitely kind of found the focus for the show in the last you know two years or so. So. Yeah, well, I'm enjoying it. Keep them coming because I'll be listening to them, man. It's a great way to uh, – it's a nice vicarious thrill to well, kind of, you, uh, revisit all this stuff, you know? Yeah, and you get a good chance right now. If there's anyone else, uh, you know, people who you remember from way back when who you want to get back in touch with you or uh, any other great stories or anyone else you want to uh, you know give a shout-out to, uh, this is a good time um, to do it. So I'll let you – 
Ah, uh, you know, it's everybody that I uh, everybody that I remember from back then, I pretty much am still in touch with. So, uh, just want to say hello to everybody, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was a good time, and um, happy to relive it here tonight with you. So. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Great. Well, Matt, I definitely appreciate it. To all of our listening audience, I wanted to say really quickly, uh, this is always the tough time of year for us because it is harder for us to line up interviews during the holiday season. So I appreciate your sticking uh, with us through some of the delays. Uh, we just posted our, our best month ever on the show. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's continuing to grow. I really appreciate all the support and uh uh, keep it coming. If you guys uh, know a skipper or are a skipper who've worked on the Jungle Cruise, please give us a yell, jungle-cruise, C-R-E-W-S, at gmail.com. And over on Facebook, facebook.com slash jungle-cruise, C-R-E-W-S. Matt, thanks a whole bunch. And to our other listening audience, we'd like to say a hearty and happy kungaloosh, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> 